Hey everyone, and welcome back to Too Much Screen Time. It's me, Dave, and I'm with the whole crew again. We have Alex, we have Shantae. So last week, we reviewed the new Hulu limited series, The Dropout, about the, I would say the biggest swindler in our generation, Elizabeth Holmes. And we talked about, does the show depict her in a way that's accurate versus what we saw with the true story? So you all know the name Elizabeth Holmes. Go check out that episode if you haven't already. But today, we're actually going to be starting a series that we're going to be referencing about every quarter where we'll be doing quick spoiler free reviews of some shows and movies across the major streaming services like Netflix, HBO Max, and Hulu. So I don't know about you guys, but I don't even want to think about the amount of time that I've wasted going through a queue, trying to figure out what to watch, what I liked. And then sometimes I've actually given up. So we're going to be doing the heavy lifting here. We're going to drop some shows, drop some movies, some hidden gems, some new, some old, across all genres, and give you guys some recommendations. Everything's going to be completely spoiler-free, so strap in. We got a fun one for you guys. But before we begin, if you enjoy this podcast, please let us know by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it, and we love hearing from you guys. So let's dive in. We're going to be covering Netflix today, Shantae. What's the first recommendation you got for our listeners? First off, I just want to mention that I have tons of honorable mentions, but because I've already talked about them on the show before, I'm trying to give you guys some new content. But had I not, I will say that my picks would have been Black Mirror, Behind Her Eyes, You, Shameless, all amazing shows that I always talk about. So please watch those in addition to our recommendations today. So my show is a Netflix original and it's called Unbelievable. It's starring Tony Collette, who won a Critic Choice Award for the show, and Merritt Weaver, also Caitlin Denver, who's amazing. It has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes and it's only eight episodes. It's a mini series, so it's perfect for people who don't want to commit to multiple seasons. So this show is based off a true story and it's told from a few different perspectives. On one side, we have the victims of a crime and on the other side, we follow the detectives trying to solve it. And the story mainly starts off with one woman, I'm sorry, one woman, she's raped. And then we get to follow her through several steps of what happens to a woman after she reports a rape. We go with her to the police station, We go with her to the hospital and we see almost how re-traumatizing the process that we have in place is now. But in addition to that, we see these detectives who really don't believe her. And that might be a combination of things, but mostly I believe it's because she's so traumatized. She can kind of hardly keep her story straight after apparently you have to report it over and over and over. But in addition to that, the man who raped her is an amazing criminal who knows how to leave no trace of evidence behind. And that's what makes this case so special that after he does this over and over and over, and there's no evidence for the detectives to ever find, it kind of turns the the blame to these women, which is why the show is called Unbelievable. 
basically we see these victims kind of working with these men and how horrible of an experience it is until we get these two women detectives involved and we see such the difference and we see that these women do believe these women and how much work they put into catching this man so the story kind of gives us two sides we get to see this wild goose chase where the detectives are trying to find this man and we also see the consequences of these women reporting their rape and seeing everything they have to go through in order to heal. I think the show has such an amazing balance of emotion and action because we're seeing both sides of a crime like this. I really think that this show does a lot of justice to showing how hard something like this is for women. And I think there's a huge change that needs to happen, that they do such a good job and really take the time to show what it's like as a woman in this position. But in addition to that, I think that the show is captivating. You want to watch every single episode. You're never bored. And I think it's just one of those full stories where after you're Googling, like what happened, where, where are they now? That sort of thing. So it's definitely one of my favorites. I know it got a lot of critical acclaim when it first came out, but I feel like I never hesitate to recommend this show whenever I have the opportunity. So if you haven't seen Unbelievable, go check it out. Shantae, you know that I love a great limited series. That's I, I I fish for limited series, guys, because I don't like to be able to spend 136 hours of my life watching a show unless I'm all in. But to be able to write something that is sharp, it is to the point, and it's also it hits it hits some depths, which this show hits unbelievable depth, is just brilliant. I, again, I highly recommend it along with Shantae. I loved this show. The acting is top notch. I mean, Tony, Tony Collette, we mm-hmm. talk about Tony Collette. I feel like either on this podcast or behind the scenes, she was nominated for a Golden Globe, I believe, along with the rest of the cast, but it is superb. There's there, and there are several scenes that really sit with you. A, yeah. a scene that really sits with me and it's, and it made me really think of, you know, if, if I was a woman and I was raped, would I even want to go through the trouble of reporting this because of everything that's been pitted against me? And you see that so well written when she goes to the police station and talks to the detectives that you alluded to. I think that just how they corner her and try to one up her her story and find holes in it. It's just sickening. You know what I mean? No, totally. I think that, you know, I feel like we're almost making this sound, the show sound like super dark and like, it's only about how terrible all these things are, but I completely agree. And I don't know many shows that really take the time to show you that women get raped in a lot of shows, but how many times have you seen someone through the actual process afterward and seeing the consequences on their life, seeing how their friends treat them different, their family treats them different for better or worse. Some of the victims in the show were very supported and some of them had positive experiences, but with the women detectives. So I think that there's a lot to say about that. So I would recommend the show because like I said, it's equal parts emotional and action. There is a lot that goes into it. By the end, you're like, you have your theories as to who it is. I think it's a well-rounded show for sure. Great. Well, there's one, Alex. Maybe they don't want to go something that's so dark. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got Windfall. And like Shantae, you know, I wanted to kind of give recommendations for more niche Netflix originals that, you know, can be found on Netflix that, you know, otherwise I I would be recommending, you know, the Stranger Things, the Ozarks of the world, but I think I needed to go a little bit more niche. 
So that's why I chose my first choice is Windfall. And I'm not going to talk about anything that you do not see in the trailer. The movie stars Jason Siegel, Lily Collins, and Jesse Plemons. That's the three main cast. And if that's not enough to want to make you to watch this movie, I don't know what more to tell you because this movie is a very slow burn and it takes place in one location, one beautiful California home. And the story is centered around these three main characters. And the main character is played by Jason Siegel. We're introduced to him. He's basically robbing the house. That's the very beginning of the movie. He's there robbing the house, you know, going through the jewelry. Uh, no one's home. He's, you know, opening out the bookshelves, trying to find secret compartments to find hidden money gems that he can take with him, right? He's just an average Joe robbing this house. Lo and behold, Lily Collins and Jesse Plemons, who we find out live in that home, come back from vacation earlier than expected. And Jason Siegel now has to go from robbing the house to a hostage situation. So he's found in the home, they find him there and Jason Siegel takes them hostage. And the, the, sh- the movie gets pretty crazy from there. And it's a really slow burn where there's a lot of dialogue. There's, there's a lot of things revealed about the characters. You, you learn to believe that Jesse Plemons is this super high tech billionaire CEO. He is an awful man. And it's very clear in how he handles his interactions with Jason Siegel's character because Jason Siegel's kind of like an amateur robbing this house and doesn't really know what he's doing. And Lily Collins and Jesse Plemons are kind of like making fun of him in ways. They're kind of like helping Jason Siegel rob them because, you know, Jason Siegel's like, uh, can I have like $150,000? And they're like, wait, really? That's all you want? Like they start laughing at him. They're like, that's nothing. Like, why don't you add a zero to that? You know, and then we have something really going on here. So there's kind of like some really funny, quirky moments in this movie. Uh, there are definitely some darker moments. A lot of things revealed about their characters and about Lily Collins and Jesse Plemons' relationship. And uh, I think it's a very good movie. It's, 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 a, it's a very slow burn, but it's a very quick burn. It's only 90 minutes long. So you can definitely breeze through it really quickly. But I, I got to say, I really enjoyed this movie. And I thought it was a, a really well-written movie and directed by Charlie McDowell, who's kind of new to the scene, but he's actually the husband, the real-life husband of Lily Collins. And he's done a couple other projects with Jason Siegel. So they, they partnered up again for this one. But I uh, definitely want to recommend, and I don't want to talk anymore about this movie because it's hard to talk about without spoilers. So definitely go and watch Windfall. So- is there a sci-fi or fantastical element to this at all? Just because the filmmaker, he has a track record of doing things like that. Like the one I love a great movie with Elizabeth Moss, by the way, a little plug there. Um, but do you get that with, with this film or is that a spoiler? No, surprisingly, no. I, cause I was looking for that too, because I looked up Charlie McDowell's track record and I was like, Ooh, maybe we might have some sort of like hidden fantastical elements but no this is this there's no really no sci-fi at all involved with this it's very straightforward it kind of reminded me of like a quentin tarantino-esque like reservoir dogs like takes place in one room but through the dialogue you hear you learn backstories about characters and you're able to kind of like piece together the clues of relationships and what is happening and motives for characters and so it's pretty interesting like that i see there are only four actors in this was this a covid movie 
It actually might have been. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it might have been a COVID movie because it's a very small cast, takes place in one house. It feels like it's like one of those bubble Hollywood movies during COVID. So actually <laughs> pivoting, I kind of set myself up there, guys, because my film that I'm going to talk about was also filmed over COVID. It was filmed 11 days. And the funny thing was, is the director of this film actually had a friend that got COVID right before they started filming. And like I said, it was only 11 day shoot. So the filmmaker had to do all, or had to do all of the directing from a van with monitors, never got to even be on the set <laughs> with, in this case, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. So the movie that I chose was called, it's called The Guilty. And you've probably seen it because I think it showed up on a top 10 back when it came out in 2021. It was like later in the year, but it's a remake of a Danish film and it, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal. And what's really interesting about this is the perspective of the film. So he's a 9-1-1 dispatcher. So right away, you know that his day is pretty stress-filled. But what's really cool is, you know, when, when someone dials 9-1-1, usually the movie is in the perspective of the person that dials it, right? But in this case, it's kind of flipped. And we don't ever really think about what happens to the 911 responder in those situations. So you don't really think about the emotional toll that that takes on a 911 dispatcher. And I'm just going to say, after watching this movie, I didn't want to be a 911 dispatcher to begin with, but you couldn't pay me enough. The quick thinking that you have to be able to do, because any situation at any time, whether it's a, a burglary, um, attempted murder, maybe someone got hit by a car, anything like that could just come ring on the phone and you have to know how to handle that situation. And then in this case, he's already having some bad stuff happen to him, but that's a spoiler later in the movie. I'm not going to talk about what that is, but then he gets the call, the call that we're all waiting for. It's a kidnapping. And the person that's being kidnapped is calling him up and he's trying to track down this car that's leaving LA where it's headed, trying to get this, this woman back. I think one thing that I just really loved about this movie is one, knowing what was up against it with COVID, like I already, already mentioned, but because it was built on COVID, it's kind of like a one-man play starring Jake Gyllenhaal. And this is a Jake Gyllenhaal where he is very stressed. He gets very loud. He tries to keep it together, but he just like blows up numerous times throughout, kind of like when he did Southpaw or Source Code or something like that. And I think that's the Jake Gyllenhaal where he's at his best. And there's just so much tension that comes from this movie because it takes the, the position of a 911 dispatcher. Jake Gyllenhaal explained it. The tension comes from our inability to see what's happening or understand what's going on. And all you're trying to do is follow this detective story with him of the pieces that he's trying to put together to get her safe. That's really compelling, you know, because I'm a huge Jake Gyllenhaal fan. I think that he is an incredible actor one that has not really gotten a lot of the recognition that he deserves, especially when it comes to award season. You know, he turns out some really incredible performances. However, I feel like his movies are hit or miss. You know, like he'll give great performances. However, I think that the movies surrounding him sometimes are just are just duds, you know? And, and so it's really reassuring knowing that this is not a dud, that this is like a really compelling story. So I think that's awesome. All right, Shante, what's your second one? So my next one is Orange is the New Black, which I'm pretty sure most people have heard of, but unfortunately not as many people have watched. So here is my pitch to you all. So first off, I want to say, I know the show is seven seasons and I know how daunting and intimidating that is. I understand. But for the people who want 
a real show to commit to, to invest in a show that you can pick up and put down and go back to it and not skip a beat, then I think this is a great one. It has 90% on Rotten Tomatoes and the cast, I mean, the cast is like 40 people, so I won't even take you through, but here I go. So Orange is the New Black is based off a true story and it follows Piper Chapman, a woman who helped her girlfriend at one point in college uh, launder some money. They had a brief relationship. They broke up 10 years later. She's living her best life, engaged middle-class white woman. But then lo and behold, this old case is going through trial and they, somebody calls out her name, snitches on her. She's brought back and sentenced to a year and a half in prison. This is not her world, not her vibe. It's hilarious trying to see her survive in prison. But what we get is almost like a lost style show for old fans where every episode, yeah, we have a main character, character, we have Piper Chapman, but every episode we get a backstory from another inmate. And I think that that's what really makes the show is not watching this whiny girl, even though it's funny, but it's really hearing the backstory and getting to know these characters. You do not like all of them. That is for sure. But you do understand them. And I think that's what I appreciate. And that's why it didn't get old to me. It's just so much character development. And I felt like most of the women in this jail are minorities and they're, uh, they come from poverty. And as a minority who's come from poverty, I just felt really seen and represented on this show. And I feel like there's so many lost stories that we don't get in a lot of TV that this show did justice to. And in addition to that, I think that it represents women really wholeheartedly. Like these women are raw. This isn't one of those Hollywood shows where every bit, buddy is this beautiful actress just playing an inmate. No, like this is real women. It's, They can be gritty, they can be ugly, they can be really dark, not attractive, like nothing about you is drawn to them, but you still love them because they're so real. And I think that that's beautiful too. You just really don't see that a lot in Hollywood, but this show is mainly written by women and I feel that and I see that and it feels good. Um, I think that this is one of the few shows that gets better with time too. I know a lot of people have started and sort of fallen off, but my favorite show, I'm sorry, my favorite season is season five. And I think that that's because this show also did a really good job of keeping up with the times. This season five is around when Trump got elected and we really got to see how his policies affected the women in the jail also a lost story. When do we ever hear about how president policies affect prisoners in jail? But we saw it go through in multiple storylines. And I just felt like, man, it's so relevant. We saw Black Lives Matter. We saw immigration. We we just saw so much shine through the show and how it affects almost society's forgotten people. So I can't advocate for the show enough. I think that I know it's a lot, guys. I know it's a lot, but I'm telling you, it is worth it to see where they bring these women. And also not everybody gets a happy ending. And I also love that too, because how many people getting out of jail get to just return to life unfazed and just have this happily ever after. It doesn't happen. And the show ended up advocating for so many of these real people. I think at the end, they started a fund for real real women trying to 
get back into society. And I just thought it was so beautiful. It was so raw. I digress. So I was one of those folks, Shantae, that fell off the wagon. I only made it two seasons. I understand. I understand. But, Do you regret it though? So I stopped watching in 24. I was watching it when it came out because I heard it was getting some, it was critically acclaimed. People were really talking about it, but I, I, I didn't gravitate toward the, the depths of the characters in the way that you've just described. I thought it was just kind of like a, a comedy with a bunch of uh, women prisoners with this woman who's totally out of her element. But it sounds like one, I didn't take it seriously enough. And two, maybe it took some time because I haven't, I don't remember it now. Maybe it takes some time for you to really invest in these characters. Well, I, I do think it's still worth a watch and I can understand, you know, that was a, it's a long show, but you got to think season two, they're still kind of figuring it out a little bit. Uh, I think there's so many characters. There's such a big cast that I don't think that they were actually able to really dive in yet. They were sort of just giving you an introduction to everybody, but season after season, we really stick with these women. We know them, their family, their ailments, their addictions. And then I think that they really were able to get into the social commentaries in the later seasons. All right, Alex, uh, what's your next one? So my next one is a TV series that only has two seasons currently on Netflix. It's called the OA. And it stars Britt Marling, who's also one of the show creators. And I got to say, I really loved this show, guys. I remember watching this back in 2016 when it just premiered, and I fell in love with it. It's a really compelling story. And essentially, the story follows a character called uh, Prairie Johnson, who's played by Britt Marling. She basically returns home after being missing for seven years. She was previously blind and she comes back, just starts wandering into town and now she can see. She was known by the community, known by her neighborhood. You know, she went to school there and she was the blind girl, right? She could not see. And now she returns after being missing for seven years and all of a sudden she has sight. There's a lot of mystery involved with that. Everyone's super confused. Uh, one, where has she been for seven years? And how can she now see? And, you know, all these different things. And her, her parents are there and they embrace her. And of course, they have a million questions. And what's really interesting is that Prairie's character isn't concerned really about like seeing her family or getting reconnected with the world. She is so focused on finding this man named Homer, who supposedly was with her for seven years and she needs to save him. And this show is very, very complex, and it has a lot of interwined stories and, and uh, characters, and it is beautifully done, and it's very emotional, and they rely heavily on these amazing relationships that are established. Essentially, Prairie, the main character, in order to get back to Homer, to find her, her friend Homer, she needs to recruit five people to help her to get there. And so she recruits these four neighborhood kids and one school teacher and convinces them of attaining a life and purpose beyond what they currently have if they can help her to get to Homer. And you learn their flaws, you learn what they're going through, and you can see why they would be compelled by this woman who now has this miraculous 
thing happened to her where now she can see, you know, she's like some angel that has come into their life and has convinced them of this life and purpose beyond what they currently have. It is very, very cool. And um, it's really hard to talk about this without diving into spoilers. But ha- have you guys seen the OA? Have you guys seen this yet? No, I've passed it a million times. I had no idea that that's what it was about. It is, am I right that it's not in English? It is in English. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, it's in English. And the whole cast um, it, are American and English actors. And it is really good. You might, you definitely would recognize a lot of the cast, um, like Jason Isaacs, who, if you're a Harry Potter fan, played Lucius Malfoy, is in it. Does he get uh, an Ameri- Do we get his American accent in this, you, in this you show? You get his American accent in this show, <laughs> which is great. Fantastic. Uh, Emery Cohen is in this. He's, he's like a really up-and-coming actor. Uh, Scott Wilson, who you might know from The Walking Dead, he's in this one. Phyllis Smith, who is in The Office, who played Phyllis. She is in this show what? as well. She's one of the main characters, and she is great. This is the only thing that I've seen her in outside The Office. And she was great in this. Um, so the cast is great. The story is really compelling and it it deals with a lot of deep concepts and theories, but highly recommend. So Alex, the only thing that I knew about this show, because I haven't, I had, I didn't watch it when it came out was the abrupt cancellation. You said it was only two seasons, right? And then Netflix decided not to renew it. And I, that's how I found out about it because people started coming out of the the woodwork um hashtag revive the oa or save the oa or something like that all over social media so given that one does this show end abruptly for you know because you might be watching and you're like oh it's over where the new episodes and that might discourage a new list a new um viewer and then two what's the probability that the oa gets brought back great question you know i I am definitely one of those people who was like revive the OA, right? Because season two, let me tell you, does not finish the story. It is not complete at the end of season two. And if anything, it furthers the plot and leaves you on a cliffhanger, right? And so the when when I found out that season three was not happening, I was heartbroken for sure. And then went to Twitter and and really saw that I, I was not alone. You know, the show is very divisive because it deals with a lot of complex ideas and theories and uh, about our universe, about the world, uh, about how things operate. And I think it's because of that, it's very divisive. And I think it's developed such a cult following that I, I think that it, it very easily can get renewed for a third season. And I would love for it to get renewed. Absolutely. I, I, I love the show. I was literally going to ask you, as mysterious as the show sounds, one of my biggest pet peeves is when a show will open a bunch of doors, but not go out of their way to answer them. And it feels like season after season, you still don't know what's happening. But this is the ultimate version of that because we might not ever get the end. Why would you recommend this? <laughs> <laughs> well, season one ends in a really nice way. Like it's a really good bow. Like I felt like season one had potential to keep going for a season two. However, if, you know, for some reason, Netflix didn't want to give it a season two season one alone is a great story. That being said, I think when Netflix renewed it for a season two, they kind of wrote season two as like a two-parter and we're just never going to get the second part as of right now. However, we know that there are shows that this happened to that 
are now back again, right? Like Ozark was not supposed to have a season four. And yet due to all the outcry of, you know, everybody that loved the show brought it back. Alex so, is recruiting Shantae. That's what that's he's what doing. I'm he's, he's, so, he's recruiting. <laughs> that's you exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> Guys, I haven't steered you wrong yet, right? With my recommendations. I think that this is one that I, I would say, watch the first couple episodes of season one. And if you're not hooked, if you're not compelled by the story, then just don't continue. However, I think you will. And I think it's going to be one that you're going to really uh, tie yourself to. Hashtag renew the OA. That's, that's what we'll end with, with that. If, if uh, anyone wants to check it out and join Alex's cult, I mean group, then <laughs> you're welcome to later. Reach Come out to him. Come on in, guys. My <laughs> arms are open. Join me here. So my next recommendation is what I believe is the, the best horror film on Netflix, period. And it's by my favorite horror director working today. So the movie that I chose is called Hush. And it's directed, written and directed by Mike Flanagan, who Mike Flanagan, he gave us top three best anything on Netflix, The Haunting of Hill House, and then Bly Manor and Midnight Mass that just came out last year. So a lot of, a lot of great content that you've probably seen. But before that... It was just basically him and a camera and not that much money. So he just did a bunch of low budget movies with his wife, who Kate Siegel, who she's in a lot of his stuff now, but she's the main character in this movie, Hush. I think this budget was somewhere around a million dollars or something like that. So very tiny, all filmed in one location over a single night. And it has like five actors in it. And what Hush is, so it, it follows this, uh, a deaf and mute writer who's retreated into the woods to live a solitary life. And then she basically gets stalked by this masked man and she has to fight for her life while he's trying, while he's playing games, trying to kill her basically. So it's a very cat and mouse type horror thriller. But what makes this movie so, so great and it's just a lot of fun is the inner monologues that Mike Flanagan wrote about this character of how she's, as she's a writer, she's very intelligent. She's trying to process all of the different outcomes about how she's going to survive this night. Is she going to be able to run? Is she going to be able to hide? Is waiting an option? Or is she going to have to fight? And you get to see that thought process, the trial and error that she goes through, why this guy is like I said, terrorizing her, kind of very The Strangers-esque, if you've seen that movie. And I couldn't recommend it enough. I, you know, horror is, horror is probably my favorite genre, I would say. I love talking about horror anytime I can on this podcast. This film does such a great job of utilizing sound mixing and sound design that really separates it from other horror films that it really, it's able to play on because she is a deaf and mute writer. Um, it reminded me a lot of how they use sound design in the movie, The Sound of Metal, that we've covered on a previous episode on this podcast, but it's more geared toward horror. So that's Hush by Mike Flanagan, starring his wife, Kate Siegel. Check that out. All right, Dave, what am I about to ask you? How scary is it? That's correct. It's, I mean, it's very like, it's very much like, Halloween or any of those like serial killer, but you're more inside the head of the protagonist. 
that's like a, a difference of it. And it's shot in one location, probably because of the small, I mean, obviously because of the small budget, but you're it's yeah. He terrorizes her. If you've seen the strangers or um, funny games to a lesser degree, it's just somebody who their motivation is just like they say in the strangers, why are you doing this? Because you were here. So that's, that's the kind of movie that you're signing up for when you watch hush. Sounds like a fun group movie night kind of game, like get scared together, but it's not going to like haunt your dreams. Right. Is that correct? Okay. So on the scale from one to 10, that's a six. Thank you. (laughs) I love your rating on this shot. It's amazing. Uh, Yeah. You know, Dave, I I loved this movie. I I remember seeing this way back when it came out and I feel like people weren't talking about it enough. It definitely went under the radar and you're right. I I was going to mention it that they do such a good job with the sound mixing because they bring you into the headspace of the main character who you know is deaf and is mute and so at times when you you as the audience know that the killer is out there around the house stalking her at times she doesn't even know like in the first i feel like the first half of the movie she has no idea she thinks she's alone you know she has no idea what's happening but this stalker is like playing games like you said like kind of like joking and playing around with her even though she doesn't know but you as the audience knows it increases the suspense because you're like oh my gosh he's right around that corner but she doesn't know you're worried and and you're worried for her and i think that because of that it added such a really unique element that i wasn't used to seeing in like a really like slasher horror film and highly recommend good choice dave yeah i thought so thank you All right, Shantae, what's your last recommendation for our listeners? I think I'm about to trailblaze for the show here. I don't think we've ever talked about a reality show, but the time has come. I don't even think you guys watch reality shows. Is that right? No. I, the last time I watched a reality show was American Idol probably 15 years ago. <laughs> when was the last when, time? <laughs> when was Carrie Underwood the American Idol? How long ago was that? Probably 1998. Yeah, like crazy. <laughs> Twenty four years ago. <laughs> All right. No, the last you time have, I like, watched, do you uh, watch reality show? Not really, not anymore. The last time I watched a good reality show was Jersey Shore back in like Ooh. early two thousand. So that was mm. that was my jam. Define good. <laughs> mm, it was the best. It was the content that everybody needed. Wow, those were the days, huh? All right. Well, don't worry. I got you guys. It's time to revive reality. My show is called Dating Around. It has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. How many reality shows can say that? Very, very few. And what I love about this show is that it doesn't feel like your typical standard reality show where you have the talking heads. It feels produced. It feels like there's drama. The only object of the show is to watch people go on dates. So if you're a people watcher like me, this is the absolute show for you. It is not like The Bachelor where it's a million people pining for one person. It's only five people pining for one person, (laughs) but they're not together. Okay. So you guys can't see Dave's face, but he just face palms, but give me a chance. So here we are. The show starts off and it's one person going on a date with one person. And as the show continues, The same setup is in every single show. They have drinks, they'll get dinner, maybe they'll go on a walk, they'll grab another drink or ice cream or whatever. And as the show continues, 
the person will swap out, not physically. They have one full date with each person, but the way that they edit it is maybe they'll start at the bar with one person, but as they're walking to the table, it swaps out with another person. So you really get to see them in the same environment, the same place. They're even wearing the same outfit. They have to wear it all week, apparently, but you just see their chemistry with different people. And the different contestants, they're usually different races, different ages. Sometimes they'll have kids. Sometimes they're divorced. Sometimes, you know, they're just single. But what I like about the show is they're all mature. They're all adults. It's not a bunch of 21-year-olds who are like drinking, you know, that sort of thing. It really is just adults trying to find somebody to date. And that's why I like the show. It feels so authentic that you really just kind of feel like you're watching these people progress. And it's kind of fun to call like who has the most chemistry, who's fake laughing, you know, who's just like trying to get it over with versus who's actually having a connection. And at the end of the show, it's like another day and like they're walking to the park and then they're on the phone, like, Oh, I'm on my way. I'll see you there. And then you have like 20 seconds to guess who's it going to be. And they just pick one person and then they ride off into the sunset. And I love it. I just feel like it's so chill. You guys obviously see that I like a lot of dark TV. So every once in a while, you just need something to kind of take the edge off. And as somebody who's on the dating market, I need tips. So this is the best show. I never thought I would hear the word authentic coupled with reality TV. So <laughs> that's that's definitely a first for me because so this reality TV is obviously for a very specific group of people. I don't know if I'll ever be that audience. So I'm not going to sit here and trash reality TV because I haven't watched it since probably 20, 15 to 20 years. Alex, what's your take on reality TV? Is this something that you would tune into? You've you've at least watched something in the last decade. <laughs> I think I would, honestly. I, th- I think Shantae is like really convincing. And and I think you bring up a good point too about us needing kind of like a good palate cleanser after watching all of our dark TV shows and t- dark movies and dramatic roles and stuff like that. I think it would be kind of refreshing to kind of see uh, a dating reality show kind of like this, especially if you are in the dating scene trying to see what not to do. I feel like that's probably a lot more clear than, than what to do in certain situations. So I don't know. You, you've kind of convinced me, Shantae. I think I might give it a try. Just try one episode. It's super easy. Is this the best dating show reality TV that you've seen to date? Cause I'm sure you've seen a Absolutely lot of Absolutely not. No, not at all. I, I probably watch, I probably follow eight to 10 dating shows at all times eight to ten wait what (laughs) (laughs) i can probably name them all i watch pretty much if it's on tv i will watch it but it's just so good all right alex uh what's your last recommendation for our listeners so my last recommendation is called i think you should leave with tim robinson and this is a sketch comedy series so kind of like along the lines of shantae this is a really good palate cleanser from a lot of the dark TV shows and movies that you can catch yourself watching on Netflix. And, you know, most of the sketches revolve around someone making an embarrassing mistake in a, in a social setting that we've all been in before. The writer and creator is Tim Robinson, who was famously on SNL back when John Mulaney and the Lonely Island Boys were on there. And, and he was, Uh, responsible for writing a lot of the major sketches that are even continuing on today. So he's an incredible writer. He's really, really funny. And he's like the main star of the show. And 
a lot of the sketches because it's a sketch comedy show a lot of the scenes are like five ten minutes long very short like situations basically uh kind of similar to like an snl or like an all that type of show and i really enjoyed it it's it's very funny not all the sketches are hits for me sometimes they they are duds but it's very very cringe so if you like cringe comedy i think that this is perfect so my last recommendation um i should have went with the palate cleanser like you guys that was that was smart but this one it's called the kindergarten teacher i don't think it's gotten a lot of buzz beyond like when it was i think at sundance um back in the day and then it went to uh netflix but it stars maggie gyllenhaal as uh, a, a kindergarten teacher on staten island who is very devoted to her students. And then one day she actually discovers uh, that one of her five-year-olds is basically the Mozart of poetry. He's this poet prodigy that goes into a trance randomly throughout the day and just starts spewing phenomenal poetry. And then she just, she becomes fascinated and obsessed with this kid and ultimately risking her her freedom and her family to be able to nurture his talent. So a very interesting concept. But what I really love about this movie, because it's actually adapted from an Israeli film of the same name, the filmmaker, she wanted to put this kind of from a, an American perspective. In the U.S., we live in a very materialistic culture. We obsess over things like Instagram influencers, being on our phones all of the time, and we've suppressed art. That's that's the message that this filmmaker wanted to convey. And she's using Maggie Gyllenhaal, this woman who she's noticed the suppression and she can't take it anymore. So Maggie Gyllenhaal is phenomenal in this film. She's such a complicated character because you see and you can relate with her this this kid he's very smart he's doing all this poetry things and nobody cares they just want him to play baseball they just want him to do his school and go back home nobody really cares she has a daughter who was really good at photography she gave that up and now she's just on her phone all of the time and it's just maggie gyllenhaal wanting to push art through all of this and she does some wild things to be able to achieve that dream and it leads to a finale the last 10 minutes of just this, it's not chaos, but this thrilling ending that is very memorable. So I highly recommend it. That's called The Kindergarten Teacher. That sounds amazing. Did it win any awards? No. Oh, dang. Under the radar, huh? How old is it? So it came out in 2018, and I believe it premiered at Sundance. I'm a sucker for anything with social commentary, so I will be checking that out. Yeah, I feel like that's a really cool message, for sure, and and very very timely. You know, art is something that is definitely in jeopardy in our schools and and celebrating art and especially with the rise of technology and everything like that. So I think that's really cool. I guess, how does this stack up with Kindergarten Cop starring Arnold Schwarzenegger? What? <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going well. to dignify that with a response. If, if, if the filmmaker and Maggie Joan Hall heard you ask that question, if you were a journalist, <laughs> I'm just messing. You would would be asked to leave. (laughs) But like I said, I think what makes it such a captivating movie is that it's not very black and white. 
she makes some very questionable moves that leads to a finale where she does something that she crosses a line that you cannot come back from, but she's doing it with, in her viewpoint, very pure intentions, which is saving this art, making sure that his talent is not wasted because she's worried that if nobody takes advantage of this now, in five years, he's going to be just a regular kid. And there are plenty of regular people in this world. So she doesn't want to waste that talent. And she's going to, she's going to hold on to that by any means necessary. So it, it gets pretty, it gets pretty intense by the third act. Blink twice if she murders somebody. Not going to say anything. You can, you can, you can watch. Message received. Your secret's safe with me. You, you can, you can watch the movie and you can, yeah, you, you can just watch the movie. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have today. So next week, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the newest A24 phenomenon that's sweeping across the nation. It's called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. It's currently playing in theaters. And also, at least up to today, it was the highest rated film ever on Letterboxd. You go watch it and come back and join us as we talk about it. But until next time, keep watching those screens.